Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, author of the eco-folk horror novel, Charwood, out now everywhere, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we're being dropped in on by Dan Hank. Dan's first novel, The Black Seas of Infinity, was published by Anarchy Books in 2011. Deadite Press released the cover by Dan on a novel entitled The Soapaths by Piers Anthony. A limited edition chapbook, Christmas is Cancelled, came out courtesy of Splatterpunk in 2013. 2014, he started columns for TAM, TAM, Tattoo Review, and Skin Art magazines. Continued his work for independent magazines and anthologies. His third book, The End of the World, debuted in March. He's currently writing short stories, the latest of which, Fort Bragg, is available on Amazon. And last year, he started a podcast, Skull Sessions, with Dan Hank, which I was on recently, and now features 55 episodes, two less than me. His heavily <laughs> illustrated anthology entitled The Never Dead, featuring 14 authors, just debuted across all platforms. Welcome to my nightmare, Dan. Thank you. Really psyched you're here. On Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors and artists to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I define as living creatures and vital processes relevant to their writing. This episode, we're going to stretch things a little bit and talk about what I'm calling the biology of physics, but that's just a way of talking about physics. So what is physics, Dan, and why should we care about physics? Well, this is kind of a made-up concept of how we address the world, like how, how we, like, so is mathematics, basically, like they say mathematics is a universal language, but we even put that like in spacecraft that we shoot way out, hoping aliens can interpret our mathematical interpretations. But, you know, the way I look at it, it's all made up by us to like assess our world. So if you have like, say, you know, creatures with a whole different, you know, biology, they they might not that might not be comprehensible to them that's interesting yeah so i took physics i think in high school and i guess i must have passed it i don't know i just i don't know a ton about it my cousin until recently is actually a physics high school teacher so i've asked him things like why when i put the goddamn fitted sheet into the washing machine does it get all, like all the other clothes go inside of it. I was like, that's <laughs> physics, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess like physics play a part in it. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, smaller generations you can bring down to. You say it's actually this, but yeah, it is physics. I right. mean, you can say like gravity, you can say, you know, velocity, you can say, you know, all sorts of other stuff. Okay, but so there's, yeah, there's smaller aspects of a greater, you know, a, a greater principle. Okay, so it's yeah, the the natural science of matter. So biology. So obviously, all of biology is affected by or follows the laws of physics, right? That's an that's an accurate statement, you would say. Yeah, although like I said, you know, a lot of those laws we made up, so they're probably portions that we left out like if you look at like Einstein's theory of relativity and you look at quantum mechanics and they've been trying forever to get those you know two laws it seemed they seem to be like laws like they seem to be something that absolutely applies but they can't make them work together so they've been trying forever so there's there might be some more 
you know, some greater, more universal theme that really helps combine those two, you know, so, you know, we might just be taking our, like, uh, our, our like, brief snapshot interpretations and trying to describe it with that. Okay. So it's still in flux, in a sense, like we're still figuring it out to a certain degree. We haven't, we haven't defined the laws of it maybe as well as maybe we understand biology, although there's probably a lot of biology we still don't understand, right? So we're just trying to still make sense of all of it. These are evolving theories. Right, but it, it also might be that we don't have like the, the tools or the capacity to see it fully. Like for instance, like take the movie Interstellar, you know, where, where it's like, you know, we live in a four dimensional universe, but what if you exist in five dimensions? So if you're in five dimensions, you can see way more than you could in four dimensions. So four dimensional people would not be even able to interpret some of the stuff done by five dimensional people. Okay. That's really interesting. So physics also, whatever our understanding of them, they, they impact physical being, but it impacts things like rocks or whatever. So obviously biology is, is a part of it, but it goes beyond biology. These are forces in outer space. And, you know, I, I guess we wouldn't call things like uh, an asteroid biology, although I guess I don't know if, if that that could be argued, but I it could be argued. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably things that are Within on it, yeah, like, like spores or tardigrade-like creatures or something. Sure, sure, and things that we don't even know that's out there. But so it's clear why physics can tie so well into fiction. Most of the time, when it's dealing in depth with fiction, it would be physics and fiction. It's typically sci-fi, right? Usually. Is what one would yeah, call it. I, I think so, although it kind of depends on your definition of physics, you know, and it kind of depends on like how far you want to get it. And, and I think that like if you notice like a lot of um like, like a lot of uh, like you know, they call it like the hard sci-fi and stuff like that, they try and like stick to what they think are like rules or definitions or limitations, but I think all that sort of stuff is kind of made up. Okay. Interesting. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, well, when I think of physics in sci-fi, I think of the argument about what is the what is the thing in Star Trek where it transport you, the transporter, right, it right. whatever it's called. Right. Well, is it, you mean the transporter where like, you know, the, the like beam me up, Scotty. And yes. then, you know, but the thing is, you know, that doesn't really work. Like, like their interpretation of it, where it like basically, basically what it does is it vaporizes you, right. and then like it pulls all of your atoms, you know, up to the you know starship, and then it reconstructs you. And then I think it was in um, one of the Star Treks where somebody came through and it kind of scrambled up, so it's just like a pile of like gore. And they're like, oh man, that sucks. But that means you know, if it's that kind of transportation, you're killed every time and then reconstructed. So it's really not you. It's a clone of you that appears on the spaceship. And they've come up with other um, interpretations. Not a Star Trek, and Star Trek, it kind of like set that rigid path for itself. But like, maybe like it opens up a wormhole. So like, you know, you go through a dimensional portal and you end up somewhere else. So you don't actually get vaporized. You just transfer, you know, out of our reality for a minute, and that takes a shortcut. Sure. Yeah, that's that's funny. So everyone 
dies every time and that's makes it that makes it horror i would say (laughs) that's like what's that movie is uh i think the illusionist um oh right (laughs) the prestige i think it's called the prestige yeah where the guy like dies every time and you know yeah yep that's basic yeah it's basically the same thing so you think in your opinion should fiction authors be following the laws of physics as we understand them or is there wiggle room I think there's wiggle room, but I, I think so. It's not like they necessarily need to follow the laws of physics because we actually change our interpretation all the time. Like if if you look at like an author from like a hundred years ago and you look at an author now, you know, and they both do a deep dive into like the scientific process, they're going to come up with different resolutions to a lot of things. So I I think what you got to do is like like for instance, I'll, I'll try and like scale this down. Like when I write like a story like i do a lot of stuff with like cosmic horror and stuff like that so when i write sci-fi elements i try not to like detail too much of the laws of physics going on because our interpretation of that might change so you know i i try to keep that a little bit vague and a little bit general but i figure most of the characters are seeing that stuff for the first time so they wouldn't even know what's going on sure yeah that's fair so I was looking a little bit in the history of physics and apparently the ancient Greeks and there's tying into the planets. And for them, the planets are either literally or representative of the gods. So the cosmic horror thing in outer space, Lovecraft, it's almost like hard to separate that from the concept of these forces that are influencing us, whether you want to call that what astrology or if you want to call that cosmic horror or gods what do you think about that linkage well i think so first of all new cross Jackson brought up something really interesting um and, and love crush does this a lot like it, it's not from this you know world directly it's from another dimension it comes over and you know it, it does all sorts of craziness. And what Neil Grassi brought up that was really interesting is like, if you go to another dimension, the laws might be slightly different. So basically, like if you took a wormhole or Stargate and you suddenly went to another dimension, maybe the laws would, you know, not apply to your body. So all of a sudden you're a pile of mush. Sure. You know, yeah. because like like the like gravity doesn't work the same, the attraction between atoms doesn't work the same. So you know, you you're not made to survive. But if it's from another dimension, it's like what Lovecraft did. You know, you can basically make up anything you want because it's like you know, who knows what the laws are there. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of Lovecraft, he wrote a lot about what he would call what non-Euclidean geometry angles that don't sit right in dreams of the witch house, stuff like that. So would you say that's an element of kind of what you're talking about a little bit? I think he's playing a little bit with them. Well, first of all, he was, he was a smart guy. Like a a lot of people think like that's all made up and it is all made up, but it's like, you know, I think he was trying to follow some kind of like Richard patterns and then like talk about the, you know, alterations of some of those patterns. And I think that, you know, he, he brings up stuff that can't be described. And then he basically tells you it can't be described, but this is the best interpretation I can give you of it. Right. Yeah. So our organs or our brain, it's just not capable of making sense, which would make sense. I mean, we're these right. evolved, somewhat evolved apes down here. There's got to be a lot of stuff that we just can't 
process and make sense of? And how does that look to us when we actually have reached our limitations of understanding? It's going to look weird or whatever. So maybe that the angles well, he, look weird, but they're they somebody could perceive them not weird, I guess. Well, even if you time travel backwards, which my understanding is that's impossible. You basically start a new universe when you time travel. But it, it, that aside, if you time travel backwards, you know, a lot of concepts that are just like basic to you would not be understood by the people, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago or whatever. Um, I, I think it was, uh, was it Isaac Asimov who said, um, or Arthur C. Clarke who said like, every, you know, we, Every technology that that is you know more advanced than the population understands is interpreted as magic. Sure, that makes a lot of sense to me. And this idea of coming up with what might be termed alien physics or physics outside of our ken. So a lot of the times with horror, sci-fi, or fantasy, will come up particularly sci-fi. Here's an alien creature, and it's usually just a humanoid oh it's got a weird other part or something like that because that's how we picture things right so that limitation would apply to the forces because we're like oh well it's going to have a maybe slightly less gravity maybe there's an entirely different thing that we don't even get that's going on over there right so there's limited possibilities right. well I, I think like diverting a little bit i think that neil degrassi Tyson made another great point where he said Actually, the most realistic alien, you know, invasion, whatever movie they've seen, is the blob. Because, like, why would alien species look like us? Who even knows right. that they have DNA? You know, so like the blob, there's just like this weird Latinist like thing that you know comes to our world. Like that's probably would be like, like you know, um, again, like maybe from their colder environment, maybe they you know grew up on you know liquid methane instead of water and right. like who knows you know who knows their biology and their construction and to make them all be more or less humanoid is i i think that's a huge limitation it is a huge limitation i do think also authors probably realize that people would relate more maybe to a humanoid creature as soon as you even start going oh, that's rep possible yeah reptilian I don't care. Like I like I like making unrelatable I, I think characters. That's why um that's why like Lovecraft was less liked back then and more liked now because back then people were like, I'm having a hard time like right. picturing all this. It seems like very like unreal to me. And now people have like a broader mindset, you know. And plus people are used to like more horror. So like, yeah, I'm really tired of like the Jason Voorhees and you know. The, the Freddy and whatever. I, I want you know, something that kind of blows my mind. Right. Yeah. So it's more than one standard deviation of weird. A werewolf. Like, all right, it's a it's a man, but it's also a wolf. All right. right, cool. right. You know, I get that. Oh, we've That's seen fine. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it's the Star Trek monsters. Oh, they're a person, but they have a weird forehead. Okay, that's nice. You know, yeah, usually so, William Shatner sleeps with them, but that's another. Yeah, like, he's yeah. into a lot of. I mean, he's <laughs> open-minded. That's that's cool to be sexually open-minded. But uh, well, he, he's also a little bit of a narcissist. Like well, the yeah. the first episode they have where they have an interracial kiss, which you know it broke boundaries. A lot of people were like shocked by it. Like it was supposed to originally be Leonard Nimoy. And uh, what was it, Ohura? And Leonard Nimoy was supposed to kiss her, but you know, William Shatner said, No, it's got to be me, it's got to be me. So, 
He wanted to be the center of attention. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess in that case it was for a good cause, you know, to expand because <laughs> Star Trek did do a lot in terms of maybe breaking the, social boundaries. Right. Yeah. Maybe their alien stuff was pretty limited, but for the time that it was written, was probably pretty good. But yeah, we've gone beyond that. And so people can ironically go back to the 20s when Lovecraft was writing and they crave something that's just more weird, more standards of deviation from just the norm. And I think that's pretty cool. But yeah, you do you do limit. Well, it's like, for instance, if you watch a show where they want to make a character sympathetic. So have you seen. Um, man, I can't think of what it is, the the thing with this is this is not making good podcast thing uh <laughs> sweet tooth i think it was called sweet tooth it's dark fantasy oh yeah i i love sweet tooth yeah it's um it's a series on netflix and it's like you know you start having animal like child hybrids and there was like a virus and they don't know if the hybrids caused the virus you know or you know and like kind of everything's descended into like anarchy so you have like groups like you have in um like any apocalypse story you know like the walking dead or whatever where you have like some groups that are like really nasty and vicious and, and so you have some that are like just trying to kill the hybrids and some like we're an experiment on them and someone to save them and but yeah it's a good show right yeah and so i guess without trying to give away too many spoilers there are the hybrids were that they do worse things to are let not mammalian hybrids. Whereas the ones that we're supposed to like the most, like the cutest, the groundhog guy, he looks the most human. He acts the most human. And of course the deer, the deer guy who is almost entirely boy, human, yeah. just who has, you know, a couple of features. So the further you go away from human, further away from mammal, the less I think your average reader or watcher can relate. So that may be an argument why people write less blob characters, but I'm way more interested in those characters personally. Well, I, I think too, it's like, you're right. The audience probably responds more to the humanoid, the more human like creatures, but you know, the people on the show don't like, they just, they judge them all as being That's equally, true. you know, bad or equally good. They, they don't really you know, they don't say, oh, this one seems to have like a little bit better vocabulary or this one, you know, they're just like for or against them. Yeah, no, that is a good point. They're not speciesist, but the 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 viewer is definitely going to be speciesist, I think. So it's worth keeping in mind. I don't believe in pandering to the reader or viewer or anything like that, but just well, in terms I, of something. I wonder, I wonder if the hybrids would, would be... Like I, I guess they're different species. Like they're all partially Homo sapien, right? But they're also, so you know, one's like part beaver, one's part deer, one's part you know pig. It's like so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's. I do think expanding the sphere of compassion and and relatability is something we should be trying to do. So it's nice to be okay, here's the blob. It's a gelatinous form based on, yeah, like you said, it doesn't breathe oxygen necessarily, or it it comes from a place where maybe the, the gravity is so much that all you can do is ooze around. I think that's way more of an interesting challenge, certainly as a writer and as a reader, I like to be 
challenge, but your average person doesn't. Like your average person wants to listen to not the deep cuts on your, the classic rock station. They want to hear satisfaction over and over and over again on their drive to work, yeah. right? So just that's just how it is. Uh, but yeah, we don't have to pander to it. And I, and I rarely do. That's why I have only so many <laughs> readers, but whatever. But what I want to ask you also is, so what about physics scares you? Well, there's a lot that we don't know. And there's a lot that, you know, I, there, there's a lot that, that's really dangerous to you that we didn't even think of, you know, like, like and there, there's so many weird things going on. You're like, what, like, at the end of the day, how is that going to affect my livelihood? You know, like, like for instance, like, you know, you know that, um, space and time are kind of a continuum so like you know you know it's like like as you approach greater masses like time slows down and then this whole thing about it's because light beams need to move at a constant speed so time slows down they, they're still moving at the same speed it's just like they're now they're they're going around a larger object it's like there's a lot of stuff that like is on the edge of us understanding you know what's the forces at play are so you know that can be very dangerous i i think the like lovecraft said this the fear of the unknown is the greatest fear out there yeah yeah because you don't have your pulse on what things could be and that's why physics to me it's just harder to understand for me i don't get it almost hardly ever whereas i kind of get biology to a certain degree so of course, everything is played upon by physics, but what do you think? Is there any linkage between, say, the supernatural and physics? Any thoughts on that? Well, there might be, but the thing is, like, well, first of all, you know, primitive humans thought that everything they didn't understand was supernatural. So there was a fire god, a rain god, a water god, whatever. So as we've like, you know, isolated processes and so on, you know, we have less and less gods. You get down to monotheism and so on. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a God thing, you know, and, and, you know, there are different interpretations of spirituality. Like some people think it's like one big gray bearded guy in the sky. Some people think it's like, you know, kind of cosmic influences, but that's why I say like, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. Like the way one electron acts might affect the way an electron acts all the way around the orbit of Jupiter. We don't know what the connection is. We don't know what's going on. And like I said, we might be living in three dimensions, but they're actually five, you know, or six or whatever, you know, they're, they're actually in place. So we don't understand, you know, everything going on in the linkage between them. Yeah. Well, certainly interdimensional beings is a frightening thing something that's just right here but just a different layer that we can't access but they can sometimes access us that's a terrifying concept kind of like yeah in interstellar where he's in the library he's like moving stuff around his dog just his books you know yeah sure and would you say the film have you seen donnie darko yes so that's one of my favorite movies i hadn't watched it for years and years and then i watched it a couple of years ago afraid it wouldn't hold up. I think I enjoyed it just as much. So they touch on physics and stuff like that. Although I hear it in a kind of half-assed way. 
Well, I think it was more of like an indie project and like that's the way that they approach it, like a low budget, like, you know, um, I'm not going to do a deep dive into researching this. It's probably not too many people who can check it out. And then uh, it blew up, which is good for, you know, it's good for the author and it's good for the artist, but it's, you know, may, maybe credibility is at stake there. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's some holes, but it does deal with time travel and some of it, I guess, well, if the the concept of time travel doesn't necessarily hold up, but yeah, there's some inconsistencies, but it almost seems like the solace of physics can be, even if we don't understand it, there seems to be a consistency to it. This is the force, even if we don't understand it, it's going along this way. But to me, it would be more frightening if, if it was in flux, as in if something like gravity, sure. Oh, now it's different. In seven years, it's different, which well, maybe it is. I don't well, know. There, there's one thing I think is really interesting about gravity, because like, you know, people like, for instance, like, you know, with evolution, people are like, oh, it's just a theory. It's like, well, gravity is just a theory, you know, but here's the thing. The law is, and the law of evolution is that it works. How it works is a theory. So theories mean, you know, we're still working on that. We're not 100% sure. We just know that it applies. And I think with gravity, it's like maybe our theories on why it works the way it works are incorrect. So the law that it works, you know, how it works could change. And it could be because of, you know, the, the different forces, you know, at play that we are not aware of. Yeah, that's that could well be. And another thing I was just thinking of is, so what you were saying before, and I agree with that, the idea of magic is just something we don't understand yet, because if it's a thing that can happen, even if there's a wizard that goes blah, blah, and now you d disappear, right. there's going to be something that can explain that in terms of there would be a law that even if we don't ex understand it. So if you use, if you write a ghost or something like that, you can maybe make up your physics of it, but it should be applied consistently. So there would be a physics of ghosts in a sense, right? Like a ghost can go through these materials and shoot out ectoplasm in this way. Would you say that there's an element of physics in that? Oh, it's possible. And actually, um, you know, some of, I think, the like better writers like Lovecraft have done this, like Dreams of the Witch House. Like, you know, basically... You know, his um, a guy's sister dies and is trying to find some way to bring her back. So, but she went to another dimension. So he's trying to go to that dimension and bring her back. And of course, it being Lovecraft, everything is horribly wrong. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's like, you know, ghosts could just be beings from another dimension. We don't know. There's a lot we don't know. Right. Yeah. And I think the the job of the author is just, Come up with whatever you want, but try to keep it consistent to itself. Have it, have an internal consistency to it is seems to be the only rule. Don't change it around as it goes along. Even if you have a bullcrap version of it, just keep it going. Because say the transporter in Star Trek. Okay, it was a bit of they fudged that or whatever. But you know, as a plot device, I guess it works. And if it's consistent throughout, although it probably wasn't, but nobody really actually cared is the reality, right? Right. So it's just, you know, like nerds like me would care about biological fake things and maybe nerds like you like, well, the, the physics is off there, but most people don't give a crap, do they? <laughs> 
Well, one of my girl tells me I'm a nerd all the time. So, <laughs> but um, I think that um, you got to be careful and just do a little bit of like a like a little bit of a dive into something that you don't understand how it works. Like for instance, the Star Trek transporters, they kind of worked until it's like, oh well, because it works this way, you did this, and then all right, you kind of like screwed yourself there because now you said it has to be this. You know, so like when when they recombine somebody, it's just a, like a pile of like gore. It's like, oh, so you're saying that everyone you know gets like pulled apart and then re recombined, and by saying that, you're saying it basically kills them and then rebuilds them. Yeah, the internal logic is lacking. That's definitely <laughs> that's definitely true. Yeah, and that's probably why I don't dabble in that realm very much. Certainly not much in the sci-fi stuff because I don't know how to, to deal with that. I I've made alien creatures. I recently wrote one. I, I tend to, there tend to always be reptilian of some sort because that is the closest other that I can also process and understand amphibian reptilian is sort of that transition period away and, and, but yeah, if I had a better imagination, I could go further into, I don't know if it would be a gas, it would be, they'd be particles. I bet you most of the life that's, if there's stuff out there, it's probably more microbial. Like, why would it not be, you know, it just seems like. Well, it's also form. possible, like the universe is so vast that, you know, there are like whole civilizations that could have risen up, you know, developed technology far superior to ours, but still never reached us. And then died out. So, you know, awesome. by the time that, that we might ever get to the point where we can travel to, you know, their their planet of origin, maybe the sun went supernova, maybe the civilization died out like 10 years or 100 years, a thousand years prior. You know, it's like there, it, it's just there's so much that we don't know. You know, and they, they constantly, like, like, they only recently managed to photograph a black hole, even though it was uh, Einstein theory forever. You know, um, they, they still don't know if dark matter exists, but they're trying to try to figure it out in, like, dark energy. And they're like, well, our calculation is this, but, you know, and the calculations are off and off. Like, they thought the universe was going to, like, you know, expand and then eventually get to a point where it starts contracting, but it just keeps expanding even faster. And they don't know why. So there, there's lots of stuff, you know, that, that they just don't understand what's to play. Right. And that's what I ultimately like most about physics and quantum physics and outer space. It puts us in our place as humanity, literally. It, it puts us in our, here's where we are. And it's also... There are all these things we don't understand. We go around as humans pretending we know everything and we have all these fancy ideologies, which actually are most people believe a lot of bullshit just on a daily basis. So it's really funny that, yeah, we definitely know how the whole universe works. It's like probably almost certainly not. <laughs> we don't even like the oceans are like 80% explored. That's our own planet. Like, right. you know how many the planets are out there? You know, the, there are more stars than there are sands on all of our beaches in the entire world. You know, so those are just stars. 
And like our star has how many planets? I mean, it depends on whether you consider Pluto a planet, whether you think Planet X exists, you know. But we we have at least eight planets. Mm -hmm. You know, if there are that many stars, more stars than all the sands on all of our beaches, you know, there, there are probably millions and billions of planets out there. So yeah, there's a lot we don't know. A lot, I just yeah, keep going back to that. <laughs> there's a lot we don't know. And I guess the question is whether the forces at play in all of these galaxies are physics, so physical matter, or if there is life as in biology. And for some reason, that that tends to be the question. But I don't even know if it should be. I don't even know if it matters necessarily if there is, quote, a microbe or a mammal or or a sentient thing out there. I I think we are all, you know, we're certainly human centric to a large degree. And, you know, even including myself, we're we're very, we're very life centric. And why is it more important for there to be a fuzzy little critter out there than just some sort of rock that is spinning that 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 has validity and, and importance on its own, wouldn't you say? Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I think that we are kind of um, like we're evolutionary, like, you know, programmed towards certain things. Like, like uh, the reason why, like, we like animals so much, like pets so much is because we're evolutionally programmed to like, like small young creatures because we're programmed to like babies so that we like care for them and develop motion for them. And that makes us like, like dogs. They're like big sappy eyes and, you know, they're, they're like crawling in your lap and whatever. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's like, you know, I, I think we're, we're kind of programmed to like stuff by evolution. But, it, you know, and we're thinking like, you know, it, it kind of depends on the person. Some people say self-aware is the definition, you know, which means you can look in the mirror and then you recognize yourself. You know, some people say life. But then again, like a deer is alive. Okay, if you take that to a further extreme, a cockroach is alive. So are you saying that we can kill, you know, cockroaches, but not deer? Why? They're both alive. Right. You know, and it might even be that like self-awareness and sentience is just a very complex butterfly effect. So we're, we're not actually self-aware. We've just like so many steps removed from like a deer that, you know, that we can recognize ourselves, but that's just like a, a biological advancement. That doesn't mean that we're uh, this is very complex. <laughs> no, I, I love that though. I love what you're saying there. And that's definitely a lot to kind of think about over time. And I, I definitely am going to, but I'm curious as we wind down here, have you tried to explore any of these concepts in any of your work? Um, I, I, well, the, the first I'm rewriting my first novel right now. Like um, I got the rights back from my publisher finally um it, it was a nightmare but i, I finally had, and actually jester and helped me a lot to get the rights back like the publisher wanted a grant i'm like dude you've had the rights for nine years you know and i didn't even mention how many times they like jerking me around with sales and i'm paying the bill or whatever so i had the rights back and i'm rewriting it and in that first novel i was like i guess a lot more emo <laughs> you know? like i was also a lot younger when i wrote it i mean that, that was like 15 years ago but it's like i'm talking about all these concepts so even if it's not occurring right in front of the main character or the main protagonist, right. it's still, he, he's like going over all these concepts, but in a way it's almost like 
you know, if you read it now, it's almost like purple prose. It's like he's in the middle of something and it's distracting to go through all of his thoughts that are not related to what's going on right at this moment. So, you know, I had to cut some now, but that is addressed in some of it. And I love to do like kind of cosmic horror. Like, you know, I'm heavily inspired by Lovecraft, you know, so I, I loved, I, I don't want to copy him. I hate when people like, I, I don't even like when people do like the Cthulhu mythos because I figure mm -hmm. that's his thing. Right, Why right. do his thing? You know, but I do take him as an inspiration and I, I try and have like, you know, weird creatures from other dimensions at play, like causing havoc and some people are for it and some people are against it and we have you know oppressive oligarchs and all this sort of stuff so i try and bring some of those elements in but i try not to delve too deep into specifics because i could be wrong like people are proven wrong all the time and the last thing i want is people like if you read those like uh like 1920 sci-fi novels but they're like breathing and they're you know in space and they don't have helmets on I don't want that to happen to my work. That's fair. Yeah, that's that's a good precaution to have. So <laughs> besides rewriting that novel, what are you working on and where can folks find your work? Uh, thank you. Uh, mostly Amazon. Like Amazon's like the, the big monolith that, you know, so even like I often use draft to digital as an interview with somebody else and they told me about that. And draft to digital is great because you get yourself everywhere like Barnes and Nobles you know all all the you know all, all the streaming services all that but I still go to Amazon so if I like the never day when I put it out I put it out on Amazon Amazon lets you do like you know it, it's like a, a print on demand um, so you don't even pay for it up front where you can do like a paperback a hardcover and a Kindle um, ACX, which is a division of audio of Audible, or they work with Audible, will often do a, a royalty share where you don't pay anything up front. Just the person who does the audio version of your book gets a certain percentage of sales. You know, so I, like my latest book, The Never Dead, is available in four formats just on Amazon. And then I also put in a draft digital, so it's actually available on all the streaming services as well. Like, like, you know, Apple and Google and Barnes and Nobles and stuff like that. Very cool. Well, yeah, that's smart to get it out there as many ways as possible. Well, Dan, it was great to have you on the podcast talking about what I'm going to call now the horror of physics, screw <laughs> biology. And that's real horror, yeah. <laughs> that is, that's as horrifying as it gets. So, yeah, thanks for stepping into my nightmare. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror along with my latest dark scribblings at joshesworstnightmare.com. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of Charwood, my eco-folk horror novel from Agata Triad, or Moline, my cosmic horror novella from D&T Publishing, you can do so at your local bookstore or order from them through bookshop.org or indiebound.org or go to Amazon, barnesandnoble.com or godless.com. Darkest regards, Josh Schlossberg.